0: They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Got your Christmas uh, shirt on. I love it. I certainly do. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday of... Um... Advent. December the 18th of December and it's the um it's advent yeah. we're in that this the part of advent where we call the the o antiphons it's the last 8 days leading up to christmas we have an intensive preparation spiritually for the coming of christ um and uh, today's antiphon o leader of the house of israel giver of the law to moses on sinai come to rescue us with your might mighty power those O Antiphons are the inspiration for the the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Those are the O Antiphons. Ah, good. So uh, welcome here, and, and thank you all for your support and your prayers. And we want to remind you all about the biblical uh, spiritual warfare conference, excuse me, spiritual warfare conference, coming up in January. That's right. January the
2: 16th? Yep, and they can get a, a register by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org, or they can call 877 526 2151.
1: Excellent. Excellent. So we'll do the gospel for today. Today is the 18th of December, as I said. And and once you hit the 17th of December, the readings for the day are not um, the regular weekday readings. It's now you have December 17th, 18th, 19th. Sunday readings will be the same, but you do these special readings in preparation for these last days before the coming of, um, we, we, we celebrate the birth of the Lord. So the reading is from Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention when, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home, for it is through the Holy Spirit that she, that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took his wife into his home. He had no relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So there you have it. Joseph was going to div- divorce Mary. She was discovered to be pregnant. They were betrothed. In our modern world we often think that that means they were engaged and so this was a horribly scandalous situation no actually they were married once you are betrothed you are married and in order to break that bond even if the marriage hasn't been consummated yet you had to divorce the person if there was something that was in and remember the old testament allowed divorce so um that was a concession jesus told us that had been made because of the hardness of men's hearts that was not the way god intended it from the beginning So we have Mary here and Joseph, and um, Joseph discovers that Mary's pregnant. He knows he's not the father of the child. And of course, you have, you know, throughout the ages, many commentators have commented on this and and different, even fathers of the church weren't in full agreement as to what Joseph's dilemma was. Some said, well, he just suspected she had been guilty of adultery. And um, others said he was just perplexed. But there were those who said it was out of reverence for the mystery of God taking Mm. place in Mary. And, you know, it's interesting when you read a scripture passage, you shouldn't you you need to comment on it in the whole entirety of it. And I think I find it interesting, the suspicion. um, Theory, because the angel doesn't say to Joseph, don't don't be angry, Joseph. The angel says, Joseph, don't be afraid. Mm. Fear not. Fear not to take Mary, your wife. So, if he were afraid, if, if, if he had suspected her of adultery, if really had, if he actually, that was the suspicion, that's why he was going to divorce her, um, he was unwilling to, to expose her to shame, so he was going to do it quietly. Normally, what would happen is if, she, if he had suspected her of adultery, it was his obligation as a, a Jewish male to report her to the authorities and have her stoned to death. But um, he doesn't do that. Um, he, he says, well, and, and here's, I remember Father William once mentioning, in this passage it says that Joseph is a righteous man. A righteous man is a man who really keeps the commandments of God and lives in union with God. And an interesting thing about a righteous man is he won't make, he won't draw a conclusion based on contradictory evidence. Well, how could he have contradictory evidence? She's obviously pregnant, Right. Right. But if a woman's committed adultery or been violated and she's pregnant as a result of that, it would be evident in her demeanor, mm-hmm. in her um, lack of peace. In her, and, and none of that was present. No. Mary's, Joseph knows Mary's evidence. Not only knows her evident holiness, he also knows they had, in order for them to get married and for it to be a lawful marriage, he, she had to tell him that she intended to remain a virgin after their marriage. Right. And so she, he, Joseph is already privy to this information. Um, and so um and also Joseph has to agree to that and he had to intend to remain virginal mm-hmm. within his marriage. So this is a virginal marriage and they both agreed to this already. So he could have believed, well, yeah, she's pregnant, obviously. Well, how do we know pregnancy, you know, there's only one way pregnancy comes about that we know of. Except that there is one instance in the old testament where it's prophesied that a virgin shall be with child. That's right. And so he has this dilemma and he has um most likely concluded that Mary may possibly be this virgin of the prophet Isaiah, and that would, that would be where the, the reverence interpretation comes in, that out of reverence for God's work, he's going to step aside. And then God intervenes by sending the angel to tell him, no, Joseph, you're an integral part of this. As a matter of fact, he calls him Joseph, son of David, indicating that it is through Joseph that Jesus will be connected to the line of David, even though he's not his physical father, Joseph and Joseph is also told he will name the child, which means you really are his father, not not physically his father, but really you have the authority of a father over him, okay? So this is a tremendous blessing to Joseph that you know here he was he, he was married to Mary, she's the most beautiful woman in the world. Suddenly he's stuck with this dilemma that, well, maybe I have the Virgin of Isaiah on my hand. Mm-hmm. Then if I'm here, everybody's going to think Jesus is my child and he wasn't born of a virgin. He was my child. And so he's going to step back and take all of the shame on himself because right. everybody will think, well, why did he abandon her? Look, mm-hmm. at he gets her pregnant and then abandons her. And he's the one who will, will bear the shame. Yeah. And, and, but that, the angel comes and says, no, this, isn't, this is God's plan. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid to approach this mystery. And, um, you know, it, it, the thing is here also, when God gives us a calling, He prepares us with the necessary graces and, you know, information that we need to fulfill that calling. That's right. Just like the Blessed Virgin Mary mm-hmm. was conceived without original sin because she was going to be the first tabernacle of the Lord Most High. Okay? So God would have prepared Joseph sufficiently with the grace so that he could have had that insight. It would have come to him, his angel, and the Holy Spirit would give him that insight and help him to know. And, and of course, the angel comes to him in a dream. And so Joseph takes her you know, into his home, and it says that he has no relations with her until she bears a son. And I think we need to comment on that a little oh, because yeah, of oftentimes people misunderstand and think, oh, well, until. That means that after Jesus was born, they had relations and she had other children. No, the church has always taught and tradition has always taught from the beginning that Mary was a perpetual virgin. And so was Joseph in their marriage. So um, that until there, and this is pointed out in the scriptures, that until doesn't mean that afterwards. It only is saying that up to this point, there were no relations that took place. It's, It's emphasizing the fact that Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus, that Jesus really was born of a virgin. The point of it is, Matthew is trying to show that, Mary, that Jesus fulfilled the prophecy that Mary was the virgin of Isaiah. And that's what Matthew's trying to show. And you have other instances, you know, I, there's one instance in the, in the oh, um, mm-hmm. there was a, you know, a, in the scriptures that she had no children until the day of her death.
2: Exactly. <laughs> she, well, That's a famous one. Yep.
1: You know, did she? No, she didn't have any children. Yeah. She, you know, she remained childless. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was David's first wife, yeah. Saul's daughter, because she, she despised David for dancing with abandon before the Ark of the Covenant. Wow. So you have this beautiful passage. And of course, it's interesting what Father said in the sermon this morning. He said, you know, God will mess up your plans for you. You know, <laughs> he'll make life tough on you. <laughs> and here it is, it is tough. Mary and Joseph have to walk through this with God, with faith. Yes. Mary doesn't say anything to Joseph about the pregnancy and and Joseph is let in on the secret with the angel by the angel but only after he's already decided that he's going to divorce her. Right. He's going to, but he has this is the most beautiful woman in the world. This is the most perfect woman who ever walked the face of the earth. And and not only that she's the most spiritual. She is she's all that any any man who's longing for God and yearning yeah. to for union with God could desire. And he's going to have to walk away
2: amazing you know mary when we come back i want to throw something out that's so beautiful from in conversation with god talking about holy purity beautiful in and outside marriage absolutely so for everyone the fruits of this virtue and i love to say this purity is necessary for true love yeah absolutely so when we come back at that doesn't tease you i don't know what will You're listening to the Bible with the Barbers in this Advent season. We're prepping for the Advent season. I want to recommend, if you want to get a great recording of Archbishop Sheen on The True Meaning of Christmas, it's free. Just call 877-526-2151. If you want to make a donation with it, we appreciate that, but not necessary. 877-526-2151. Well, can the world come back and listen to us about holy purity? I sure hope you will, because purity is key in loving God. We'll be right back with more to inspire you to fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ and his bride, the church.
0: Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
2: Welcome back to the Bible with the Barbers. I made a promise at the end of this first segment. I said, holy purity in and outside marriage, the fruits of this virtue. Purity is necessary for true love. Beautiful. This is taken from In Conversation with God. This is Opus Dei's Spirituality. But I bought all the volumes and you can do the same thing. It's really fruitful for you. Here's a two paragraphs that I think will be fruitful for you, our listener. For both single and married people, Mary's virginity is also a call to live with the finest of the virtue of holy purity, which is essential if we want to see God and serve our fellow man. Perhaps this virtue will clash with our environment. <laughs> you think? And be misunderstood by many. Oh, big yeah. time. Yep. Blinded as they will be by the materialistic outlook. In fact, it will be scorned and in, and its utility called into question. Nevertheless, holy purity is absolutely necessary for us, even from the viewpoint of being a little more human. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And of being able to look at God. Yeah. Without the virtue of purity, it's simply impossible to be a contemplative soul. And we all want to be, contem- you know, contemplative soul. We want to be thinking about God. The Holy Spirit acts in a special way on the soul that is refined in its chastity, because holy purity produces rich fruit in the soul. It enlarges the heart. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mary, (laughs) and helps in a normal growth of affection. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. It gives rise to a deep internal happiness, even in the midst of many obstacles. We all want that. Right, right. It makes our apostolate possible. Right. It makes us more human with a greater capacity for understanding and sympathizing with other people's problems. Boy, amen to that. Yeah. I had to share that meditation. I'm going to let you get into more. I've got a person waiting for me outside the studio. I'll be back with the Bible with the Barbers. Mary, tell us what you're going to share.
1: Well, we're going to talk about um, Christmas. And is Christmas just nostalgia? Or is there something more to Christmas than just nostalgia? But just a short commentary on here, what, what Terry just read. And that Mary and Joseph, of course, are the models of this holy purity. And it, it, and it makes you more human because we were made for love. But love is diffusive. It gives itself away. And love isn't seeking its own pleasure. And this is what Holy Purity is about. Holy Purity is about not seeking my own pleasure. It's about using the faculties of my body for the praise of the glory of God. We were made for greatness. We were made for union with God. That's what we were made for union with God. You're called to greatness. You're called to union with God. And that's what we want to talk about in this in this Advent meditation too on is Christmas just about nostalgia. But in order to attain union with God, we must desire him first. And we must truly love. We must be willing to give ourselves to him and to receive his love. And the same, if we, you know, St. John in his letter says, don't tell me you love the God you don't see when you don't love the brother whom you see. We have to love one another. But in order to love one another purely, we have to love one another in God. And that is we love each other for the good of the other. We want to love one another for the sake of salvation, of drawing people closer to Christ. It's not about me. It's not about what I get out of it. It's about my looking at God, making God first in my life and serving my neighbor out of love for God in order that my neighbor might know that they are loved by God and they're invited to union with God also. And so I don't, you know, when you're not pure, when you're you're seeking only your own pleasure, then you're not fully human. You're you're degrading yourself and you tear yourself down. You tear others down too. Others become objects to be used. And that's not what we are. We're not objects to be used. And so we want to look at Christmas. What is it about? You know, you have this little baby in the manger. It's a beautiful scene. We can get caught up in just this syrupy sentimentalism of, and and there's, you know, so amazing. Terry and I have experienced that this year with, with the birth of our first grandchild on January 31st, and now he's 10 and a half months old. And just the tremendous sacrifice that a, a child calls forth from you children are not animals they're not little puppy dogs or little kittens that you just have to play with and you train them and and then you know they're going to they're just going to behave and and do everything right children are human beings made in god's image brothers and sisters of christ temples of the holy spirit heirs to the kingdom of heaven They are God's children, and they need, they have so much need. This little baby, when they come into the world, they have this tremendous need. And Terry and I have had the joy of of helping, (laughs) spending a lot of time helping take care of our grandson. And it just is, it's amazing. And to watch them grow and develop, okay? So, but we don't want to get stuck at Christmas, you know, with, it, and as beautiful as it is to look upon the child and recognize in every child, the Christ child. Okay, to look at every child, recognize the Christ child, and this is very biblical in the book of Luke. When when Jesus, when the women bring their children to Jesus to be blessed, and and Jesus says, um, "Let the children come to me." The word Luke uses there is the same word he uses for the infant in the manger when he refers to Christ in the manger. So he deliberately says that every child is an image of Christ, but. We have to go beyond that because Jesus came into this world and it's very clear from the scripture, he came to save us from sin. And it's, you know, we live in a very fearful time. We live in a time when there's just a lot of confusion and some people are acting um, like the Thessalonians did during the time of St. Paul where the Thessalonians were thinking the second coming of Christ is imminent and so we don't do anything. We don't have to take care of ourselves. We just sit and wait. We're just going to sit and wait and do nothing. It's, it's a form of quietism. I'm just going to do nothing. God's going to do everything. And he's just going to come and take me. And so what does Paul say? Paul has to actually go to the point where he says, anyone who is unwilling to work shouldn't be allowed to eat. Second <laughs> Thessalonians 3.10. So, and some people are taking this attitude right now they're like oh this is the end of the world the world is coming to an end and we just need to wait we need to just hunker down and wait for christ to come well wait a minute um no there's we have we live in difficult times but we have a a problem here we need to be evangelizing we're not supposed to hunker down and wait for christ to come we're not supposed to wait for the second no we're supposed to be out evangelizing you know we're supposed to be doing our duty which is to spread the gospel so fear and anxi- fear and anxiety are bad counselors. By the way, the evil one uses ve- the evil one uses very much to prevent good people from acting and from doing good. And I'm quoting from the Opus Angelorum Advent Christmas Circular Letter of 2020, Father Ludwig Op- Opel, um, and he he's writing this that it's not fear and anxiety that should be guiding us. And by the way, our enemy is using the fear and anxiety against us. He's trying to get us to stop doing the good. Don't go to church. You might get sick. Don't say your prayers. What good does it do? Um, sit around and worry about whether you're going to get sick all day. No, you know, it doesn't work that way. We need to be serving. We need to be giving love to others. And, you know, some people are are homebound. Some people can't get out and so those people can pray and offer their sacrifices. And believe me, they can offer your suffering. And that, that becomes a, a, a tremendous way of evangelizing. Because even if nobody sees us, God sees us. And then through our sufferings, he gives the grace to others. St. Teresa of Lezu was in a convent, right? She was a Carmelite nun. She, once she entered that convent at 16, she never left that convent. And um, she remained there. And she was hidden from the world. And yet she co- corresponded with missionary priests and she prayed for missionaries. And the church has named her the co-patroness of the missions because her prayers were so effective in helping missionaries. As a matter of fact, there was one missionary priest that wrote to her and said, I don't think I can continue my ministry in this mission. My feet are, are so bad I can't walk anymore. So Therese asked Jesus if she could take the pain that he was suffering and carry that for him in order that he could continue his ministry. And you know what? Father wrote back to her later and said, Oh my goodness, I'm getting used to this this walk. Um, my feet aren't hurting anymore. Trez could barely walk. <laughs> and so, you see, in the body of Christ, we can help one another to bear the burdens. And so we need to not be afraid. We need to be serving one another. By the way, as Christians, we need to be going out and seeing, are there people who need help? Are there mothers with little children who need food and clothing? Or are there mothers who need help, you know, getting their house cleaned or having um taking care of their children for a little while to give them a break so they could get a nap or, or get some rest or do some things they need to do to take care of themselves. You know, if we if we're just always giving, 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 we become empty. And most of all we need to help others to pray, to really pray. So we don't want to give into this temptation to to be um fearful. We want to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these other things will be given to us besides. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient for the day is the evil thereof, Matthew 6, 3 through 34, Father um, quotes in his little article here. So even if the time should get really bad, we should not worry. We have to be encouraged, courageous, excuse me, I have to be courageous and strong. Coraggio. I remember a conversion I had A conversation, excuse me, Father had a conversation with a Muslim who was converted to the Catholic faith. And at the time I asked him whether it is true that other Muslims would want to kill him, even his family. And he answered, it is true. But what of it? Christians have always been persecuted. So this Muslim who became a follower of Christ, he looked at the history as I well, Jesus died on the cross and his followers have died on the cross. They've been they've been persecuted. And he's like, yes, I'm not becoming a Christian to make an easy life. I'm coming Christian to follow Christ and I will suffer persecution. What of it? That's part of it. Have we forgotten that? Father Ludwig quotes this for us. It rather seems that the church is flourishing when she is poor and persecuted, when the church get affluent, when the church gets um, comfortable, when we no longer are sacrificing and suffering you know what? We don't, aren't really trusting in God anymore oftentimes. We're only trusting in our material well-being. We're putting our trust in material things. Therefore, we shouldn't be afraid of anything in the future. Rather, we should heed St. Paul's counsel to the Thessalonians. But you, brothers, are not in the darkness for the day to overtake you like a thief. For all of you are children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness, Therefore, let us not sleep as the rest do, but let us stay alert and sober. Those who sleep go to sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet that is hope for salvation. For God did not destine us for wrath, but to gain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 10. There's the music. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. And we'll be right back after this short break. If you want to sign up for the uh, Spiritual Warfare Conferences coming up in January. So sign up on our website for the Spiritual Warfare Conference.
0: Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome back. Terry had to step out, um, and here I am. So we're going, to, uh, we're going through the Opus Angelorum Advent Christmas Circular Letter of 2020. By the way, their website, opusangelorum.org. O P U S org. and you can actually go online and, and see this circular letter and read it. Um, so Father Ludwig concludes his article by saying2,000 years ago the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary and Joseph lived politically speaking in very difficult circumstances. but their center was always God the salvation of the world and eternity. This is all that matters in the end. In this blessed season of Advent, let us unite with our blessed mother, being silent, listening to God who wishes to speak to our hearts. He sends us the holy angels to strengthen our faith, hope, and love, so that with joyful expectations, we may receive him at Christmas. So, yes, we think back at Christmas time of Jesus' first coming in that manger and the humility, the humility of our God that he would become man. But we also need to think forward, just as that Muslim man that Father spoke about had embraced the idea that he would suffer if he became a Christian because Christ suffered. You see, when Jesus was born, he was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread the bread of life is born in Bethlehem. But where is he laid? He's laid in a manger. And that manger is made out of what? It's made out of wood. And the fathers of the church commented that that wood of the manger prefigured the wood of the cross. And of course, the fact that he's laid in a manger prefigures the fact that he's going to feed us with himself. So at Christmas, we're not just Focusing on the little baby in the crib, although we can focus on that, and especially in our time, we need to refocus and rediscover the gift that children are. Children are a gift from the Lord, a blessing, the fruit of the womb. And every child is an image of the child Christ in the manger. But but there's more to it, okay? Why did Jesus come into the world? And it's abundantly clear from the scriptures, Because he came to save us from sin, right? God proves his love for us in that while we were all sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. How much more once reconciled will we be saved by his life? Romans 5, 8. And so Jesus comes to free us from the power of sin and death, to make reparation to God. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, (laughs) That, that was an infinite offense against God. Only God himself could repair the damage. But how was he going to repair the damage? He's God. And man's the one who sinned. So in order to repair the damage, he had to become man, to take on our humanity and then offer back to God the proper worship and adoration and the reparation that was due to him. But at the same time, as man, he couldn't do that because he could never offer infinite reparation. It was only if God himself were to take to himself a human nature and unite it to himself so that he could offer to God this infinite price that was due to God. So he becomes man to redeem us from sin. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting he, he promised God, as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, of course, we've spoken about this before on this program, God said, what, I will put enmity between you and the woman, he was talking to the serpent, between your offspring and hers, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Heel, Genesis 3.15, the proto-evangelium, the first good news, okay? And in the fullness of time, the Virgin Mary gives birth to her son, who is the son of God, in Bethlehem, okay, so, so in the decisive hour of salvation history, by his death on the cross, he crushes the serpent's head. So this baby who was born in Bethlehem is the same who will grow to be a man and who will die on the cross. And by that, crush the head of the serpent and defeat sin and give us the possibility of living a life of union with God. This is what we were made for, to live in union with God. We weren't made to live in this world forever. We weren't made for comfort and ease. We weren't made for earthly paradise. We weren't, you know, Jesus didn't come to overthrow the Roman authorities. He came to establish the kingdom of God, which is a kingdom of love based in the love of God. God is a trinity of persons. He's a community of love and life. And this is what he communicates to us. And by his death on the cross, Jesus, the one mediator between God and man, he saves us from sin. And he renews us. And he makes it possible for us to join in his one act of worship. And by the way, it's not just man who was redeemed by Christ. As a matter of fact, Christ is the author of grace for the angels. Um, and we have... Um, Father William Wagner is writing this particular article, and the title of the article is Why Did God Become Man? Again, from the Opus Angelorum newsletter, the circular letter of 2020, which is available at opusangelorum.org. You spell that out, it's two Latin words together. It's all spelled as one word with all lowercase, O-P-U-S-A-N-G-E-L-O-R-U-M.org. And Father says, around the time of St. Anselm, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, rhetorically declared that Christ redeemed the angels. After catching his listeners' attention, he acknowledges that the good angels had never sinned and so could not have been redeemed in the same sense that man was redeemed from original sin. Still, he insists, Christ the Lord is their redemption. And then he explains, listen for a moment, he who raised up fallen man and freed him from slavery enabled the angels not to fall by guarding them from slavery so just like the the blessed mother was pre redeemed in view of her the merits of her son in view of his merits so too the angels were kept from falling into sin the good angels were kept from falling into sin thus He was equally the redeemer of both, providing release for the one, release for mankind from sin, and protection for the other, protecting the angels from falling into sin. It is clear, then, that the Lord Jesus Christ was redemption for the angels, just as he was their righteousness and wisdom and holiness for the angels. Nonetheless, he was the cause of these four gifts for the sake of man who can only contemplate The invisible things of God by studying the things he has made. The things that God has made, Romans 1, 20. We come to know about God by studying the things that God has made. Thus, all that he was for the angels, he became for us. So Christ is the redeemer of both men and angels. He redeems the good angels by not allowing them to fall into sin. He redeems us pulling us back up out of sin and from the shackles of sin. So why did God become man? Yes, he becomes man to redeem us from sin. But is that the only reason he becomes man? Is it just limited to that? And, you know, we have beautiful, beautiful, this newsletter has so much in it, we can't do it all in one hour, but you can certainly read it online at opusangelorum.org. And so the incarnation of God was most fitting for us since the invisible mystery of God and the truths concerning our salvation can only be revealed to us by the means of created things. So it was fitting that God would become man because we only come to know God through creation. So God becomes man to reveal himself to us. The incarnation also strengthens our faith. For now in Christ, God instructs us through his humanity. The incarnation, the incarnate love of God takes hold of us with impelling force, strengthening our hope, 2 Corinthians five fourteen. If God is for us, who can be against us, Paul writes. He who did not spare his own son but handed him over for us all, how will he not give us everything else along with him? What will separate us from the love of Christ, Romans eight thirty one through 32, and then 34b and 35 say, And in that, actually what he says, Paul names created things. You see, only sin can separate us from the love of Christ. And then by his incarnation also, the extreme suffering and death of Jesus bore, that he bore for us enkindle more ardently our love for Christ and for God, that he would do this for us. St. Alphonsus Liguori rightly affirms, suffering for the beloved is the most fitting way of discovering the love of the lover and consequently of attracting to ourself the love of the beloved. Christ suffered for us, and that attracts us to him. And then when we're willing to offer our suffering in union with him, that also attracts him to us, and our need attracts him to us. Furthermore, Christ's human life presents the supreme model for all Christian virtues in life, and especially in death. So Christ is a model for all the virtues. These are the reasons St. Thomas Aquinas gives for Christ becoming man, okay? And of course, the, model, the virtues he, he models for us are love, patience and meekness, humility and obedience. And those are especially shown to us in his passion. But think about Jesus in the crib, yes, too. He, the love that he would humble himself to this point, that he was patient and meek with the coldness and the poverty, that he was humble and obedient, that here the Son of God becomes a child, a little baby child dependent on two human beings, and yet he is the creator of the universe. Okay, So cumulatively, St. Thomas declares that through Christ's redemptive intervention, we attain to a full participation in divinity. So he comes to save us from sin, but he comes to make us participators in the divine nature. In support of this, he cites a passage from St. Augustine, God became man so that man might become God. And that's in the mass, you know, uh, at the uh, offertory, the priest says, "Up, oh, we'll have to take care of that on the other side of this break. Don't go away. We'll be back with more on Bible with the Barbers. Please remember to go online or to call 877-526-2151 to sign up for that spiritual warfare conference that's coming up in January. And thank you for listening. And if you could make a donation to support us, you can call 877-526-2151. We'll be right back.
0: Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us and for supporting us, especially with your prayers and your sacrifices, but also with your financial help. Without you, we cannot do this work. If you want to make a donation, 877-526-2151. And also, I want to remind you to sign up for the Spiritual War Conference, Spiritual Warfare Conference coming up. (laughs) And we're all in spiritual warfare. Uh, January in January the sixteenth I believe it is so you can go online to Virgin Most Powerful Radio or you can um, call eight seven seven five two six two one five one and we were talking before the before the break about this divinization that we become participators in the divine nature at the offertory of the mass when the priest is preparing the chalice he has the wine is placed in the chalice and then he takes. A, Um, a drop of water and places it in. And as he does that, he says, by the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity. So we're called to divinization. We're called to participate in the life of God. We're never going to be God. We will always be his creatures, but he shares his life with us. And um, so obviously, you know, from what we've said, God came to save man from sin, but to raise us up to participate in his own life. And it was interesting because the question came to be asked whether, you know, if man had never sinned, would God have become man? Was the only reason that God became man because he sinned? Well, there's, if we say yes to that, there's something inadequate in that, isn't there? Because we're saying, well, you see, God had this plan and then oops, man sinned and God had to rethink his plan. Or, you know, is it true, rather, that the incarnation was part of his plan from the beginning? That in the beginning, when he created man, it was his plan that his son would become incarnate. Is there any evidence for that in the scriptures or anywhere else? It's very evident in the scriptures that, yes, Jesus Christ came to save us from sin. That's extremely evident. But what do we have We have here in, um, I believe it was in St. Paul, where Paul talks about the fact that in Ephesians, thus, it's Ephesians 1, 4, thus God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. Holy. So before the foundation of the world, God chose us in Christ. How could he choose us in Christ if the incarnation were not part of his plan? So the absolute primacy of Jesus actually underscores the love and mercy of God precisely because Jesus freely willed it. The incarnation is the model for creation. Did you catch that? The incarnation is the model for creation. There is creation only because of the incarnation. In this schema, the universe is for Christ and not Christ for the universe. Scotus, he's referring to Duns Scotus, finds it inconceivable that the greater good of the universe, the greatest good, excuse me, the greatest good in the universe, the incarnation, can be determined by some lesser good Man's redemption, in other words, that sin, the sin of man, determined that there should be um, incarnation, and that was from the writing of uh, Simus Mul Holland, O.F.M. He's a Capuchin, a friar, excuse me, Franciscan, not Capuchin. He's a Franciscan, and then Saint Francis de Sales um, also writes. Then having selected for this happiness the sacred humanity of our Savior, the Supreme Providence decreed not to restrain his goodness to the only person of his well-beloved Son, but for his sake, for the sake of his well-beloved Son, to pour it out upon diverse other creatures. He chose to create man and angels, to accompany his son, to participate in his grace and glory, to adore and praise him forever. The Treatise on Divine Love, Book 2, Chapter 4. So God in the beginning intended for us to share in his life. And he made Adam and Eve in a state of union with himself in grace. And they fell from sin and so needed redemption. But the Incarnation had been part of God's plan from the beginning because he chose us in Christ from the beginning, okay? And then um, Father Father William in this article quotes from Matthias Schaben, who he understands, Matthias Joseph Schaben understood that creation's liturgical glorification of God pertains to the very purpose of creation. In other words, creation has a liturgical purpose to glorify god okay it is also clear that all creation is infinitely less than god even when endowed with sanctifying grace since grace is also created reality by way of the incarnation though the word of god took it took up into himself not only a single created humanity but also espouses creation to himself. In this way, creation suddenly raised to a new dimension of dignity. Creation is raised to a new dimension of dignity because the Son of God has become man and espoused himself to all of creation. So Christ is the high priest of our song of glorification of God. And he is the high priest. There's only one priest. Every ordained minister Participates in the high priesthood of Christ. And every member of the body of Christ, not as ordained ministers, but as little priests, as it were, priests with a small p, we're not ordained and we, we can't confect the Eucharist and the sacraments, but, this, but we can participate in the offering of Christ. Every priest is ordained to offer sacrifice. He, Christ, is our mystical spouse while the church is not only the body of Christ, but also in union with him, the mystical person of Christ, Pope Pius XII teaches, the unbroken tradition of the fathers from the earliest time teaches that the divine redeemer and the society by which his body form but one mystical person, that is to say, to quote Augustine, the whole Christ, our Savior himself in his sacerdotal prayer, did not hesitate to liken this union to the wonderful unity by which the Son is in the Father and the Father is in the Son. So Jesus Christ became man to make us sons of God. And that was his intention from the beginning. We would become one with him. And his, his mystical body, the church, we are all members of that body. And it's all Christ is the one. He is the head who holds the body together. So biblically, the covenant of God with his people has always been depicted in terms of marriage because marriage is the highest degree of association and friendship involving by its very nature a communion of goods, St. John Paul II says in Guardian of the Redeemer 20, this means that by its espousal union with the incarnate word of God, the church's song of praise, that of mankind and angels, is raised up to a most sublime order of worthiness before God because our high priest and spouse is God himself. This great and highest good for creation could not have been achieved except that god become man and unite us to himself as his living body Shabin calls this indissoluble covenant between god and mankind the noble cult of worship that god should receive the supreme act by which the creature approaches god we are naturally led to ascribe that to that sacrifice a universal significance for the whole of creation and then he continues what is more natural than to suppose that this supreme sacrificial act which is offered in the heart of creation and enables it to achieve its ultimate purpose is performed in the name of all creatures and that creation in its totality share in it does not the dignity of christ head of all the heavenly powers require this Does not the honor of the angels themselves require it? Since otherwise they would have no part in the most exalted homage that is offered to God. To be consistent, we must not further assume. Excuse me. To be consistent, to be consistent, must we not, must we not, further assume that the sacrifice of Christ is a universal corporate sacrifice offered for all creatures. And that's from Matthias Schabens, The Mysteries of Christianity, page 336. And Father William concludes, we could have been redeemed and sanctified without the incarnation, but we could never have become the mystical body of Christ without the incarnation. We could never have sung a fully worthy song of praise to God except in union with our incarnate God. We could never have espoused we could we could never have espoused to God or have consummated so intimately this union except by receiving the Eucharistic body of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior made man. The incarnation embraces more than simply man's redemption. The intimacy of our divinization is immensely greater. So Jesus Christ became man, not just to save us from sin, but to incorporate us into his body. And the bread of life is born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And he is laid in a manger, a feeding trough. Jesus Christ, the God-man, came to make us one with himself and to unite us to himself in his worship of God and in his sacrifice, in his perfect praise of the Father.
2: I love when you said house of bread, Bethlehem, meaning house of bread and the trough. What a great thing to bring to your kids. Not many people know that, Mary Danielle. No. It's so exciting to share the gospel. I'm, I'm busy over at the chapel, so I did come back for the last minute to say thanks for listening to the Bible with the Barber's. May God bless you and keep you. And Mary, I'm going to end it this way. What state should we be living in?
1: The state of grace. All right. And next Friday is Christmas, so Merry Christmas to you all. Yes, that's right. right. But prepare for Christmas. Prepare for Christ to come and live in your hearts. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And we're praying for the second coming of the Lord. We're longing, eagerly longing for his coming. Maranatha. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. Exactly.
2: Thanks again, and may God richly bless you. And thanks for all your support here at Virgin Most Powerful. We really appreciate it. Full sheen ahead. God love you.